Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryant, and there's Jerry over there. This is Stuff You Should Know about breaking news, colon, Zika. Yes. We've had a bunch of people ask us to do this and over the, this summer, basically, and uh, I finally gave in. I said, all right. Now that the epidemic is starting to wane, we'll step in and start talking about it. <laughs> well, uh... One of the reasons I'm always reticent to do something so on the forefront is like this is this will be outdated by the time it's released in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I was looking at some of the dates on on the material we used, and like August 24th was the most recent data I could get on some stuff. I'm like, is that surely things have changed enough yeah. since then? I want the newest numbers. Yeah, give them to me. Who? And they're like, let us go. And Roger Daltrey said no. <laughs> right. <laughs> That was a bad joke. Yeah, all over. <laughs> so anyway, I mean, we're going to give you the overview of what we know, but uh, Zika is a, or at least the current outbreak is a pretty new thing, and they don't know a ton about it. No. So uh, there, there's a lot of mystery involved, and a lot is changing on a daily basis. So just take it with a grain of salt. Yes, that's not medical advice, though. And some DEET. <laughs> yeah. Um, so... You said it's a fairly recent, of fairly recent origin, um, and a lot of people say, yeah, weird stuff suddenly appearing around the world, like um, chikungunya, which is related to Zika, and Zika it has to have something to do with climate change. That's oh, definitely a thread that's going. Chicken, I was about to say, that's delicious. Chick, no, you're thinking of chicken tonight. Oh, okay. <laughs> chikungunya is not delicious. It's very painful. Yes. Um, Not making light of that. I was, but you know what I mean. Yeah, you're Chuck. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But it's actually, it was back in, I think, 1947 that some researchers um, from Europe and the United States working in uh, Uganda um, discovered this in a a rhesus monkey named Rhesus 766. Yeah. It was born to be an experimental lab animal. Because that was, it was named that, <laughs> um, and they they were looking for yellow fever, and they found instead this brand new virus that they'd never seen before. And so, Rhesus seven six six became the first known carrier of Zika. Yeah, and it's named after that that forest in Uganda where they found this monkey, and uh, they didn't find it in humans until nineteen fifty two, and um, and if you're thinking. And at that point, it was Uganda, United, and uh, Tanzania where they found it in humans. Right, and if you're thinking. 1947, 1952, guys, this is like breaking news. Well, this outbreak is breaking news. Uh, Zika had not been previously a very big problem. No. Uh, pre-2007. It was very localized to tropical Africa. Yeah, and not a lot of cases even. Uh, in fact, even in 2007, uh, there were 14 cases documented, although they think it was probably more undocumented. Yeah. And uh, it wasn't until later in 2007 in Micronesia that they had sort of the first large outbreak, which was 49 cases, which isn't even that much. And then in 2014 in French Polynesia, mm-hmm. 19,000 suspected cases. It's a lot bigger. And then now this one is much, much bigger. Yeah, something like, um, I, 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 again, I was really pressed to find 
uh, hard figures, but it looks like something like a million people have been infected with Zika yeah. worldwide since um, 2015 is when this outbreak officially started. Right. And it's shown up in 67 countries since 2015, since the beginning of this outbreak. 67? And I, yeah, I've seen See, so I many was different ca- numbers. <laughs> I was counting too, and I came up with 58, but I was like, it's got to be more than that. So I saw something in the 50s. Yeah. I saw 67, I think, on the, uh, the World Health Organization website, which is why I was, I was like, that's probably right. But while we were, we were recording this, literally another country could pop up. Yeah. Actually, Singapore is in the midst of a new outbreak right now. Um, as of September 20th, they have 383 reported Locally transmitted cases, right? Which is pretty significant. But that's up from 54 on August 29th. So less than a month, it's gone from 54 cases to 383. Wow. Uh, I read, actually, I posted an article on our Facebook page yesterday about, um, I think it may have been from Slate, but the author's uh, suggestion was that there's a lot of apathy in the United States towards Zika right now. Um and then there were a bunch of, I read the comments and a lot of people had valid points. They were like sort of a crying wolf situation. Like Ebola didn't turn out to be mad cow, didn't turn out to be, you know, none of these things turned out to be these devastating pandemics here in the U.S. Well, exactly. So, you know, the United States has a tendency to be a little U.S. centric. Sure. So uh, I think. The, the comments I got from uh, our listeners, at least, were like, you know what? We've heard this before, and so maybe there is some apathy. There's a huge fear that that is going to prevent a vaccine from being developed. Sure. That's why there's not an Ebola vaccine, because <clears throat> the uh, outbreak was contained, and everyone said, well, we don't need to fund, we don't need to start funneling emergency funds toward vaccination research. Yeah. It's fine. It, it stayed basically in Africa. Hit a couple of people in America and Europe, but for the most part, it's over there. So we don't have to worry about it. And they're worried that the same thing's going to happen, that this, the end of October, mosquito season's going to, to decline. Sure. And the outbreak is going to naturally, in, in step, decline as well. Yeah. Uh, and the, the, the public will uh, and public funding for vaccinations, emergency vaccinations against Zika is, is going to dry up. The big problem is we're eventually going to, the, those dire public warnings could eventually come to pass. It yeah. might not have this past time with Ebola. Right. It might not this time with Zika, but there's, there's a definite possibility that it could happen. And we're going to be like, man, I really wish we would have stuck with it. Yeah. Ten years ago when we had the chance to develop a Zika vaccine? Yeah, it's um, it's a really narrow line, I think, that with media reporting on stuff like avian flu and mad cow and uh, to get people fired up and scared and preach fear or to, you know, for people to ha- know that there is a really good chance that this could be bad. Yeah. And if it's not, then great. But yeah. don't then around, turn around and say, well, you got us scared over nothing. Like people should say, well, that's wonderful news that it was smaller than we thought. Sure. But yes, you can lay a certain amount of the blame for this at the at the feet of the media for for drumming up fear for ratings. Yeah. And we should say that's not at all our intention with this. No, no. We're perfectly not. happy with our ratings normally. <laughs> um and we I think it 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 goes to say there's most public health officials are not panicking. Right. About this thing. 
Um, and, and Zika itself is even like a pretty, um, pretty mild disease. The problem is, and the reason the World Health Organization created a, um, a global health emergency, um, alert, they put everybody on high alert, uh, and started funneling money and attention towards Zika is because there was a cluster of microcephaly yeah. in Brazil. Which is basically ground zero for this most recent, um, outbreak. Yeah. And they're, they're saying now there's, there hasn't been any direct evidence, but there's so much correlation between being infected with the Zika virus while pregnant. Yeah. And ha- having a baby with microcephaly. Yeah. Afterward, um, that they're like, yes, Zika causes microcephaly basically is the point we're at. Yeah. Well, let's, let's jump back a little bit. So. If you get Zika, uh, only 20% of the people infected mm. will show any symptoms at all. And these symptoms, just so you're looking out for them, uh, which is always good to do, mm-hmm. uh, fever, uh, red eyes, joint pain, bumpy rash, uh, what else? You can have muscle pain and headache. Those apparently are less common symptoms. Um, but that's, that's about it. And, and like you said, I think four-fifths of people who have Zika are not going to show symptoms. And the ones who do have symptoms, probably they're not going to be bad enough to even go to the, the doctor for. Yeah, they only last a few days to a week. And um, it's it's not something that will kill you. And I think that's another reason that a lot of people have apathy is because yeah. it has such a narrow uh, focus of harm, which is specifically right now at least, largely pregnant women's mm-hmm. babies. That, and then there's one other thing that it's been linked to, although not quite as conclusively, is uh, Guillain-Barre syndrome. Yeah. Which is a really bizarre and mysterious disorder that comes out of nowhere where your um, immune system attacks your, your the nerves in your body. Yeah. And can leave you paralyzed at worst, but even f- milder on the spectrum, um, can leave you laid up, bedridden. On a ventilator? Yeah. Yeah. And the, the idea that they don't have any idea where it comes from is, is, is very unsettling. Yeah. And right now they've made a much stronger correlation with the microcephaly than right. they have the, uh, the GBS. Um, cause I'm not going to try and pronounce that again. Guillain-Barre. Yeah. That sounds easy. I know that cause there's a, there's a stuff you should know. Listen, remember the guy who's, uh, get well card we, we filled out? Oh yeah. Um, and I tweeted, there's like a, uh, I think a GoFundMe to, to like get a, a wheelchair access van. Cause I this knew guy this. is laid up. Wow. Um, his name is John Say. He lives here in Atlanta. He's a great guy. That's right. Uh, you can chip in for John if you want to. Um, you can search John Say, S-A-Y-E on GoFundMe.com or go to GoFundMe.com slash 2JHX8YK. But I should say, he didn't get it from Zika, right. um, but he has Guillain-Barre, and they have no idea where it came from, but all of a sudden, one day, uh, your immune system just turns on your nerves, wow. and you're in trouble. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, all right, so let's talk a little <laughs> bit about microcephaly. Um, it is a birth defect. Uh, it The characterization mainly is that your baby will have a, a very small head, and as a result, an underdeveloped brain. Uh, or I don't know if as a result, but those two things happen. Well, they think what happens is that the virus attacks stem cells in the developing brain. Okay. And ends up um, 
preventing the brain from developing properly. And they think it's also possible it simultaneously attacks um, structural proteins in the brain. So the existing tissue that's already been developed can can be uh, destabilized. And then the stuff that's developing uh, doesn't have a chance to develop correctly. Yeah. In which case you, you have babies born with like a, a lot of parts of their brain missing, right? Yeah, and um, I read this one interview on... Uh, it was an NPR interview. Yeah, it was from NPR, and their health correspondent, Rob Stein, um, was talking about kind of like he went and visited Brazil and visited mm-hmm. these babies. Yeah. And he said, you know, he said it was devastating and that some of the new research, uh, they published some brain scan images from a bunch of uh, these Brazilian babies, and um, some they found some really weird things. Uh Entire portions of their nervous systems are missing, yeah. like just not there. <clears throat> right, like parts of the brain stem, uh, parts of the spinal cord, and then sometimes, in some cases, uh, you think the baby's okay, and then uh, they're born, and then you realize that parts of the brain are like full of fluid, so it right. has puffed up the brain, so it looks like it's a normal size, unlike a scan or something, right? Yeah, but there's you know severe brain damage going on. Right. And so this leads to things like seizures, developmental delay, intellectual disabilities, um, problems with moving around or balance, difficulty swallowing, hearing loss, vision problems. Um, and typically this is, it's irreversible once it happens. Yeah. And super sad. He, uh, he talks about the, the cries of these babies. He said they cry more and not only more, but he said it's a really, you know, if you have a baby, you know there are different cries meaning different things, and mm-hmm. one of the keys is to figure out what's what. And um, these cries, he said, are just abnormal in that they sound like anguishing pain is going on, and uh, they're much harder to soothe. So that's just it's like heartbreaking stuff. It is, and so you can understand why uh, couples who are planning on getting pregnant, women who are pregnant, um are just scared to death of this, the idea of, of contracting Zika. Sure. They, they've found that, uh, at first they thought that the first trimester, um, was the, the most dangerous point. Yeah. But now apparently after further study, they're like, yeah, there's really no safe point in a, a, a pregnancy, um, where you could get a Zika infection and probably be protected. Yeah. And I think they're erring on the side of caution because they're still so early in the game. Mm hmm. They don't want to say like, nope, just the first trimester. Like right. they're kind of saying, we don't know. It could be any time during the pregnancy. Um, and he, the 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 NPR correspondent, was he couched the whole thing in saying like he wasn't he wasn't raising public fears. I think he did it in the right way. He said we don't know what this one's going to look like. Yeah. He said it could just die out again and be a a medium sized outbreak that goes away. He said, or it could be worse. We just got to like be responsible and see what happens. Yeah, and they were saying also, Chuck, that um, the estimates of uh, the incidence of microcephaly that come from Zika so far is between like 1 and 13%. Right. Which is a, an enormous increase in the incidence of microcephaly because it's apparently a fairly uncommon um, disorder. And something like um, 12 babies per 10, 2 to 12 babies per 10,000 births in the United States, um, are, are born with microcephaly normally under two, normal two circumstances between two and twelve per ten thousand births. Oh wow! If one percent, just one percent 
of uh, women who contract Zika uh, give birth to a baby with microcephaly. That's like 10 times the normal rate. And yeah. that's the low end of the estimate. So, again, like, yeah, you if you're just some dude, some bachelor who's like, you know, hanging around uh, Margaritaville at the sure. bar. And you get stung by a mosquito um, and you contract Zika and you don't even have symptoms. Who cares? Yeah. Well, the idea that um, you that somebody else could have a baby with microcephaly, that's who cares. Yeah. That's what's making this a public health emergency. Sure. You know? All right. Well, let's take a quick break and we'll get back and talk a little bit about uh, how it is spread. Right, Josh, you mentioned mosquitoes. I did. We've kind of danced around it, or maybe we already said, but we'll go ahead and say it now. Yellow fever mosquitoes, uh, the... Uh, Aedes aegypti. There you go. That's the little bugger responsible. Yeah. Uh, they're responsible not just for yellow fever and Zika, but also dengue and um, uh, chikungunya, too. Which is delicious. <laughs> Again, <laughs> you're thinking of chicken tonight. And only certain chicken tonights, too. Um, did we talk, uh, we did a, a really good podcast, I remember, on mosquitoes. It was great. But did we talk about, I know we talked a little bit, but I can't remember when we landed on the idea of eradicating them outright. Eradicator. And are they one of those that we can get rid of and it doesn't have some big ripple effect? We can't say that we could get rid of anything, any species of anything wholesale and not have really detrimental effects. But isn't the mosquito one of those that people, like researchers, think we might get rid of without losing, you know, it's not like losing the honeybee. There, uh, there are some serious proposals to get rid of mosquitoes as as part of treating Zika. I just hope that's the case. I hate them, right. I hate them, I hate them. Oh, that we get rid of them? Yeah, I think it would be great. They carry, I mean, beyond the stupid nuisance that, you know, I, you know, my privileged self feels at my house. I'm talking about, you know, in countries where they spread serious disease. Right. It's a real, real problem. It is a real problem, and so I guess we might as well talk about this. There's there's a couple of proposals that the World Health Organization, um, who, are, right, Terrible. are that was good though. You almost got me. <laughs> that are, they're looking into and are planning on deploying, and are actually there's some pilot projects. One of them we talked about in the mosquito episode, which was um, releasing transgenic mosquitoes into the wild. Right, and so these things carry a genetic. It artificially inserted genetic um, mutation yeah. that prevents their offspring from surviving to maturity and therefore they're unable to reproduce, right? Yeah. So you release these genetically altered mosquitoes into the wild and after several generations, the mosquito population starts to die off. Wonderful. There's one, there's a, there's a test pilot by this, um, this company called Oxitec working out of, um, England, I believe. I'm not quite sure exactly where. But they created a genetically modified mosquito back in 2002. And part of the project, um, part of the, the proving test experiment, 
Sure. <laughs> I think that's what they call it. There's, there's ellipses and everything <laughs> to indicate the pauses. But, um, they, they released some in Sao Paulo, Brazil as part of a, a pilot project in April last year. Yeah. In January of this year, there had been an 82% reduction in wild mosquito larvae. Let's do it. So it works. The problem is, is I think that is the pinnacle of human hubris. The idea that we can just get rid of an entire species and there not be some sort of ripple effect that we couldn't foresee that we're going to be like, oh, we shouldn't have done that. There's an alternative one. So, yes, you're inconvenienced, right? Yeah. When you're stung by a mosquito and it sucks. <laughs> that, see, that was an accident. <laughs> All right. I'll buy that. <clears throat> There's, But the bigger problem is for, for people who are like suffering and dying from sure. diseases like malaria or dengue fever or something like that. Well, there's an alternative to getting rid of mosquitoes, and it's actually treating mosquitoes with something called Wolbachia, which is a bacteria uh-huh. that infects the gut of a mosquito yeah. and actually prevents the Zika virus from um, living there. Okay, so you've still got the mosquito. Yeah, so you're not completely altering the ecosystem. I'm still inconvenienced, but lives are being saved. But you're getting right. Which is what really matters. Exactly. Yeah. So that one seems to me like a little smarter. And they're, they're working on that too. They've released a bunch in Brazil. And so these, um, uh, artificially infected, uh, mosquitoes go out and, um, they infect other mosquitoes out in the wild, and yeah. pretty soon, all of a sudden, Zeke is like, "Oh man, I remember the good times, and they're gone." <laughs> well, it seems like the mosquito is one that they could probably research enough to see if it would have an impact if it left us. Yeah. But off the top of my head, I'm thinking, well, bats eat mosquitoes, and all of a sudden, you're taking away right a food source from an animal that we love. Pam. That's just off the top of your head. But then you think like, but do they need mosquitoes or are they just like, <laughs> I think well, so. well, they're there. I'll eat them. Or would they just move on to something else? But then do they decimate some other thing that might be useful? You know, I get the like ripple they start effect. going after house cats. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> well, they already do that. Yes. There's a real possibility for a ripple effect that, yeah. that would have catastrophic unforeseen consequences. It also, I mean, I am totally for Getting rid of mosquitoes. Yeah. If we know for certain yeah, yeah. that there wouldn't be that ripple effect, I'd be on board 100%. I'd go out there and start squashing them <laughs> myself. Yeah, but I think what you're saying is is that there's no way to know for certain. Right. Which, you know, is valid. Yeah. So one thing about this mosquito, and I know you know a bit more than me about how it's transmitted, but looking at the uh, this guy, this particular yellow fever mosquito, uh, it has white markings on the leg, and like all mosquitoes... Uh, they're active in the morning and the evening, tend to die down a bit in the heat of the day, and then at night, you know, go off and hide. Right. But how does it actually transmit beyond just sticking that needle in? So I guess some mosquito got a hold of Rhesus 766 one day. Yeah. Or something, some other carrier like that, and the mosquito itself becomes infected, although it doesn't have, as far as we know, any symptoms from Zika. Oh, interesting. So it's not just that it's carrying the infected <clears throat> blood. They're right. actually sick. Yeah. Be- and, and that's a big point because if a mosquito comes and sucks your blood, yeah, um, it's not transmitting any of its own blood in there. So when it sucks your blood and you have Zika, right, mm-hmm. the mosquito... Uh, Puts its, uh, pro, what is it? Uh, Proboscis. I, thank you, man. That yeah. one, that and, uh, deleterious always <laughs> elude me. It, when it puts its proboscis in your skin to suck out 
your blood, mm-hmm. it also salivates in there, right? Which is like uh, it anesthetizes you. Yeah. And if you have Zika, that Zika goes from your blood into the mosquito's gut, where the Zika um, begins to colonize the mosquito, infect the mosquito, mm-hmm. and ultimately it makes it into its salivary glands. So when when that mosquito inserts its proboscis into the next person's arm, yeah, it. It uses the saliva, or I should say she, because it's always a, a female mosquito that bites you. Ugh. She um, uses saliva to, to uh, anesthetize your arm, and that's where the Zika gets into you. Okay, because they have found that the virus lives in saliva. Yeah, that's a big deal. But they're not, you know, they're still trying to to <clears throat> figure out, like, exactly all the ways it could be transmitted. Right. Um, they found it in saliva. They know it can be transmitted through um well through sexy time right it can live in semen for the, for seemingly longer than in blood yeah so w- when it's in your blood it stays there for like a week and then they're like okay where does it go obviously it stays in the body cuz they did find it in some guy's semen was it like 10 weeks after he was infected with zika yeah um and they know that you can get it sexually and through mosquitoes but they've also found it in saliva um vaginal secretions I think, I think urine and definitely breast milk. Yeah. Which is another fear among mothers too. Uh, the one, the sexual transmission, I think the first couple of cases, uh, one was in Texas and a man, uh, was infected after having sex with, uh, someone who came back from Venezuela that was infected. So, you know, a little scary. Right. Uh, and here's one of the rubs is in 2011, um, as far as intercourse, there was a guy named, a researcher named Brian Foy, who uh, published a paper, this is five years ago, um, in the journal Emerging Infectious Diseases, which is a great read at a dinner party, <laughs> let yeah. me tell you. <laughs> Just pull that out and get the conversation going. Right. Uh, but he argued that there was evidence that you could transmit uh, Zika sexually uh through intercourse, and he said, we need to study this more, and basically was denied. And they said, you know what, this is too obscure a disease uh, to give funding, um, which, you know, may have been the case. It's sort of a tough thing. You can't throw money at everything, but it is frustrating when this guy was on this five years ago. Right. And uh, could be a lot further along as far as learning more about the sexual transmission. Yep. You know? Yep. Zika just wasn't hot enough back then. So, Chuck, people are saying, like, how? How do we stop this? For the love of God, think of the children. Yeah, well, the mosquito part is a big part of it. Um, and we talked a little bit about eradicating mosquitoes. But, you know, all the normal safe things, safe measures you can take with mosquitoes, uh, you should obviously do if you're in a place where Zika might be uh, more rampant. Mm-hmm. Um, and listen to our mosquito podcast for that. But... You know, insect repellent, long sleeve shirts and pants. Mm-hmm. Uh, try to not be outside during those times of day where they're around more. Yeah. So all that stuff. But a vaccine is what we're really looking for. Yeah. You know? There's a there's apparently a few companies who are really trying to race a vaccine to market and get fast-tracked. Uh, I think a company in India is the top contender right now. And then you found one that seems pretty legit, too. So as best I can figure... The NIH has a division called the NIAID. Right. The National Institute for 
allergic and infectious diseases, I think. That sounds right. Uh, but they are working on a vaccine, and they're using a similar approach to um, what they have been uh, successful with with uh, West Nile. And right now it is safe in the phase one of the clinical trials, and they're trying to push forward. And what they're doing is, and um, I don't fully understand this, so I'm just going to kind of read this part. But uh, they said their vaccine has a small circular piece of DNA called a plasmid uh, that they've engineered to contain genes that code for the proteins of the virus. Mm -hmm. Then when you inject that, uh, the cells read those genes and make those virus proteins, and then they self-assemble into the virus-like particles, then that gets that immune system kicked into gear. Right. So you're putting in a basically an artificial version that's not that's not infectious. Yeah, that's the key, I think. Yeah, yeah, because I mean like you you couldn't possibly transmit that that artificial Zika virus um to anybody else. Yeah. But it will still mount it'll still get your body to mount an immune response and that would mean that when you actually do come in contact with the actual Zika virus, it'd be toast. Yeah, and this is just one of the um, vaccines that they're continuing in a, in a trial run. But um, I think, I mean, there are several that they're, like you said, a couple in India they're trying to get through. Like, a lot of people are hard at work trying to conquer this thing via vaccinations. Yeah. And again, there's a real tremendous fear that um, that the public will and public funding will dry up when the this makes it out of the news cycle, when it's dropped from the news cycle, you know? Yeah, and speaking of funding, well, should we take a break? That's a good uh, little tease. Speaking of funding. Speaking of, <laughs> the stagecoach is about to go off the cliff. All right, we'll be right back. Okay, we're back. And Chuck, we were talking about funding. Yes. Uh, and not only do is funding possibly going to be a problem when the Zika um, outbreak goes away, which it inevitably will, we hope. Yeah. Um, there's actually a huge problem with funding right now. Yeah. The the CDC head, uh, Thomas Frieden, is that his name? Yeah, I think that's it. Um, he took to the airwaves and said... Uh, Guys, we're running out of money, and we need Congress to come back in session and give us some ASAP. Yeah, for Zika. Yeah. Uh, so the timeline on this is last year, early last year, uh, President Obama uh, said, Congress, can we have uh, $1.9 billion uh, in emergency funds for Zika to help fight Zika? And uh, Congress said no. Um, they said, wait, wait. Obama, are you asking? He said, well, yeah, I'm asking. They said, no. <laughs> yeah, the uh, controlling uh, Republican said that they said, we want more accountability for the money uh, where it's going. And why don't you take some of the money left over from Ebola and other projects and use that instead? Or they said, or we could do this. We could take money away from Planned Parenthood if you want money for Zika. And then the Democrats were like, well, that's not very nice. And, uh, it <laughs> turned, just to go and bring them up. <laughs> it turned political. No surprise. But, um, 
they uh CDC did in fact end up taking money from Ebola. I think um how much was it? 38 million dollars from Ebola funding mm-hmm. and 44 million from emergency response funding, which is really scary. Yeah. Cuz that means if something really big happened here in the US uh in terms of Zika, they may not literally may not have the money to send teams of people to wherever that is. Yeah. So they're nicking money from these other programs. They're saying we really need this to be seriously funded. And uh, right now, uh, politics is getting in the way. <clears throat> yeah, which is pretty yeah. sad. Of course. Because, again, think of the children. Yeah, and hopefully this will change and they'll get the funding they need. But right now, I mean, Frieden, I don't know if he's crying wolf too much to try and get the public worked up, but he's, he seems to think that it's pretty dire and that they need these resources. So I'm just I'm taking the man at his word at this point. He said that of the 220 million that they had allocated for Zika, 20 million's already out the door. And if they've already used another um, you know, 44 million from uh emergency response funding, 38 million from Ebola, uh I would I would guess that yes, there's some problems coming. Yeah. Um the CD speaking of the CDC, they actually um did something as a result of the Zika outbreak that they've never done before, they issued a travel warning advisory against travel to a place in America. Yeah. They've never done that before. It's always been somewhere else outside of the country. Uh-huh. But um, when I think in uh, August, the beginning of August, when there was an outbreak of Zika, including a local uh, transmission, which means that it wasn't up, up to that point. There were a couple thousand cases of Zika in the United States, but all of them were people who went to the Caribbean or to Africa or to the Americas or to Southeast Asia, got bit by an Aegeus aegypti mosquito, and then came back. And then were at risk of possibly transmitting it sexually or of a mosquito biting them and spreading it. Well, that apparently finally happened because someone in Miami was bit by a mosquito and contracted Zika. Yeah. So that means that it is, it had entered the mosquito, the wild mosquito population. And that's what really started to get, um, the uh, CDC and others worried. Yeah. They've Florida said, is, uh, Florida's tough right now. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not like rampant or anything, but they the cases are, are accumulating to the point where people are getting a little worried. Yeah. And, and again, if you go to, uh, the Caribbean and come back with Zika, they, they weren't too worried about that. What was worrying them is, is the, the idea of mosquitoes getting it. Because right. they, they've said humans are not the vectors of transmission that we need to be worried about. It's the mosquitoes. Yeah. Well, and Puerto Rico is a <clears throat> big problem right now. Um, in fact, the name of this article I got was Puerto Rico is Ground Zero. Uh, it's not literally Ground Zero, but... As far as the U.S. is concerned, it is. Probably. You know, they're American citizens. And at this rate, 2,000 people a week are getting infected in Puerto Rico. And they said if, if this holds, 25% of their entire population by the end of the year could be infected with Zika. Uh, more than 1,300 pregnant wait, women. Wait, wait, I'm sorry. Did you just say 25%? Yeah, it says a quarter of their 3.5 million uh, population could My get God. it by the end of this year. And, you know, we're in almost September. Wow. So uh, more than 1,300 women, pregnant women, have tested positive, and um, man, I feel so bad for those women. Yeah, I'll bet they are losing their minds with just fear right now. Sure, that is so sad. As if it, you know, pregnancy isn't you know worrisome <laughs> right. enough. Right. Yeah. 
Uh, and there are a lot of problems in Puerto Rico, or a lot of challenges at least. Um, it rains a lot. There are a lot of puddles, a lot of mosquitoes. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the big, they're in a financial crisis and one of their main sources of income is tourism. And this is not helping their tourism yeah, in imagine. any way. Yeah. So, uh, they need funding for real. And, um, they were going to do s- some mass spraying, but the people said no. Uh, it's dangerous. There was a- well, apparently also mosquitoes have developed a lot of uh, tolerance to that over the decades too. Well, yeah, not they nearly as effective. They as found a, uh, one certain insecticide that they said is working a lot better, but uh, there's a lot of resistance to it. So um, right now, the CDC says if you're pregnant, don't go to Puerto Rico, mm-hmm. and uh, wait at least two months before trying to get pregnant after you come home. Right. If that's in your plans. Uh-huh. And, uh, I've even seen some people say if you go to Puerto Rico, you know, don't have sex or make sure you practice safe sex. Yeah. But none of that bodes well for their tourism industry. No. Which is where a lot of their dough comes from. <laughs> Come to Puerto Rico and don't have sex afterward. Yeah. That's not a good slogan. <laughs> it's definitely not. Um, so I, I want to specify the CDC didn't say that you should not go to Florida. They said that you should not go to this particular spot in North Miami. Right. Uh, or just north of downtown Miami. There's a neighborhood yeah. that was kind of ground zero for this outbreak. But Florida in, in and of itself is suffering uh, as far as tourism goes. Sure. I bet. Um, or on the precipice of really suffering, depending on how this outbreak goes down there. Um, and as a result, like Walt Disney World and Universal Florida and SeaWorld – all now are just kind of casually giving you a, a small aerosol can of complimentary um, mosquito spray. Yeah. Uh, whenever you come into the park. Yeah, they're not, um, and probably rightfully so, they're not putting up signs that say Zika, because that would be a, a PR disaster. Right. But I think it's pretty clear what's going on. Is yeah. They're, yeah, like here's your ticket, and here's your stub, and here's your DEET. DEET. Mickey Mouse brand deep. Yeah, probably so. So, Chuck, how do you uh, get diagnosed with Zika if you are worried about it? Well, one of the, um, like a lot of these uh, diseases that you might catch abroad, one of the first things they do is say, where have you been lately? Have you traveled? And if (laughs) Where have you been? Yeah, if you say, well, I was in Brazil. Yeah, uh, that's another thing, too. Let's have the Olympics so the whole world comes together. At ground zero for the current Zika outbreak. That was a big worry. But apparently no one associated with the Olympics has tested positive for Zika. I was wondering And it's about been that. over for a couple of weeks now. Well, that's good. Sorry for interrupting. Oh, no. I was actually, I was wondering about that because I knew it was a big fear going in. Sure. Um, yeah. So they're going to say, where have you been traveling? Uh, ask what kind of symptoms. And we already went over those. And then they're going to just basically give you blood and urine tests. And uh, that'll let them know pretty quick what's going on. Yeah, I, I think they can actually detect the virus itself in your blood. But again, it leaves the blood after a week and starts going other places. And once that's um, the case, I think they can do saliva tests and detect antibodies in your saliva and urine, your yeah, pee. They should just do all those tests. Like, don't even ask me where I've been. Just take some blood and let right. me know. Or maybe ask where I've been because that doesn't take long. Yeah. But do it as you're drawing my blood. Well, these days, I mean, I mean, it doesn't really matter where you've been increasingly. Yeah, that's true. Because it's starting to creep up. And Chuck, actually, we have to say this. This is really important. Before you um, 
take anything. If you think you have Zika, you have to be diagnosed with Zika before you can take NSAIDs. Right. Like Advil or Aleve or uh, Motrin, something like that. Yeah. Because it's possible you actually have dengue fever. Right. In which case, because the symptoms are very similar. And if you do have dengue, you cannot take NSAIDs because uh, dengue uh, blocks the action of platelets, which are clotting, that help with clotting, right? Right. And so too do NSAIDs. So you put NSAIDs and dengue together and you can uh, hemorrhage pretty easily. Yeah, that's not good. Now, if you're worried about this and you're in uh, Michigan, you probably don't need to unless you get it through sexual transmission. Or Canada, totally out of the question. Again, except through sexual transmission because this is very much out of the range of the Aegeus aegypti mosquito. Yeah. Um, it's just uh, parts of the south, the American south, southeast, um, a little bit. It creeps up a little bit into the Midwest. Um, and then all, basically, of South America, Africa, Southeast Asia. Um, California. Yeah, parts of California. There's a really in- um, helpful map if you're just panicking right now uh, on, on the World Health Organization website. For Which you Zika shouldn't site. do. Don't panic. Yeah, don't panic. There's uh, no cause to panic? No. Uh, please don't panic. No. I think the best practice is to educate yourself by listening to this and um, then spreading fear to everyone you know. <laughs> Just kidding. Great advice. <laughs> that was a top, top-notch <laughs> way to end this one. Yeah, be very uh, calm and everything and just spread fear. <laughs> right. <laughs> like we just did. Uh, you got anything else? No. Um, how much know. of this is out of date already, do you think? Probably 15%. That's not too bad. I can live with that. Yeah. We get 15% wrong anyway. <laughs> right. Uh, if you want to know more about Zika, well, just surf the web, man. There's plenty out there. And since I said surf the web, it's time for listener mail. Uh, I'm going to call this Bacon Buddy. Remember we were talking about Bacon Buddy. Yeah. The B-U-T-T-Y. Yep. Uh, which I didn't know what it was. I didn't either. But now we do. Because our good friends in the United Kingdom have written us. Yeah, and I wish somebody would have brought this up before we went, because I would have been on the lookout for one of these. Well, well, I'll get to it. Uh, hey guys, can't believe you have never heard of the amazing Bacon Buddy. Just that name sounds great. Mm-hmm. My little Bacon Buddy. Mm-hmm. Even though it's spelled differently. Uh, especially if you've uh, recently been to England, home of the buddy. Uh, The word buddy is a UK-British shorthand for buttered sandwich or roll. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, like, you know, remember when I was saying chippy for fish and chips? Yeah. They just have cute ways of shortening things. So a bacon buddy is essentially a bacon sandwich uh, or roll with a, on a roll, with a lovely helping of butter. Uh, Or if you're me, you load it with HP sauce. Yeah, that could be good, too. They love their HP sauce. Uh-huh. HP. Is that what you say? <laughs> uh, another cracking buddy you might have heard of in the past are chip buddies, as you call french fries. So the next time you're in the U.K., pop into any fish and chip shop, uh-huh. ask for a chip buddy. You get a, a crusty roll loaded with uh, chips covered in vinegar and salt. So bad for you, but so tasty. Uh, on a slightly separate note, Chuck's... Hearing Chuck's love for mayonnaise makes me so happy, as I am also slightly addicted to the stuff. Uh, when I was younger, I would eat what I called cheesy dunkers. <laughs> I love this dude. Uh, this was essentially cheddar cheese cut into long, thick strips 
which I would then dunk into my pot of Hellman's mayonnaise. Man. Cheesy dunker, Ma. <laughs> <laughs> uh, great show as usual, guys. Keep doing what you're doing. That is from Kyle Chandler from Kent, England, but right now in South Korea. And two things I would add. I was totally wrong about aioli. It is garlic-based by definition. Yeah, yeah. That's didn't, what I thought. Didn't know that. I didn't stand up for myself, though. Eh, you were fine. Okay. And um, two, I had a bacon buddy. I didn't know it. No. I was in the, the Sky Lounge at uh, at uh, <coughs> Heathrow. Heathrow. Stop rubbing that in my face. What? The Sky Lounge <laughs> membership you have. It can be yours. But I want it for free. Well, here's the thing, dude. You eat and drink well over $450 in a year worth of free stuff in these Sky Lounges. Oh, yeah, I could. I could probably do that in a visit. I was at one the other day. I just went to Cleveland. Mm-hmm. I had two Bloody Marys and a buffet meal for free. That's like $35. Yeah, at an airport? Yeah. I'm telling you, I'm keeping tally. Like i, I got to <laughs> yeah. make my money back on this. You have a little ledger? <laughs> I do. Yeah, you put on your little uh, banker's visor uh-huh. with the green bill. <laughs> one bacon buddy, one whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> How was the bacon buddy? Well, it was delicious. And um, someone else wrote in, the bacon that they have over there is different than what we have over here. Yeah, it looked like it. It's like yeah, a fat back or something. Yeah, right? they call it streaky bacon. This big, wide, hammy chunks. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, man. And I got it wasn't called a bacon buddy on the menu. It was just called bacon on a roll. Because nobody would know what you're talking about right. if they call it bacon buddy. Yeah. And uh, so I did. I had a bacon buddy, and I loaded it with butter, and it was... Oh, man. See, in America, we have that with egg and cheese all wrapped up, but just the bacon is enough for them. Sure. And it was delicious. Yeah, we call that the Egnormous Sandwich. Oh, yeah. Burger King. I haven't had that one. Oh, you haven't? Mm-mm. It's basically everything you could possibly eat for breakfast on like a hoagie roll. USA. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you want to get in touch with Chuck or me, you can hang out with us on Twitter at SYSK Podcast. You can look me up at Josh Um Clark. Uh, you can hang out with Chuck at Charles W. Chuck Bryant on Facebook, or our official page is facebook.com slash stuff you should know. Send us an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, the slightly kludgy stuffyoushouldknow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 